0: Thank you, Seth. I'm I'm sure we don't thank you enough for how grateful um, we are for you, brother, and what you bring to our church. The reading of Scripture this morning will be from Judges chapter 7, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. However, we will be looking at the entire chapter, but this is what verses 1 through 8 says. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned. And 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 who lapped, I will save you, and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, everyone to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. This is the word of God. You can be seated. While you're being seated, would you also bow with me in prayer? Father, I need and want your blessing and your help this morning. I need it, and I want it badly. I want to proclaim The word truthfully and faithfully, not adding anything to it nor taking anything away from it. Lord, please, don't let me join the number of men who preach for their own desires or their own glory. I pray that you would please preserve in me a faithful heart to only be concerned about your praise and your glory this morning as I preach this message Lord, I pray also for the hearts of those in here this morning that are very distracted, that are very guilt-ridden as well. Lord, please, I pray, cause us, cause us to enter into your presence where we hear your voice clearly, where we see your hand reaching out to us and where you feel your presence. Give us grace, Lord to either be convinced in our minds, converted in our hearts, convicted in our souls, maybe all three. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I've often wondered why we remember certain things and not others. It's kind of maddening actually sometimes, isn't it? But I do recall something that I heard in Bible college about 20 years ago, a story that I heard that I've never forgotten a friend of mine in Bible college once told me about a Christian man who went to a homeless shelter, and while at the homeless shelter, he sat down on the cot to one of the homeless men and shared the gospel with him. That man, apparently, that day, sitting on the cot, listening to the gospel, did not get saved that day. However, another man, another homeless man, who was in the homeless shelter, sitting on another cot, and overheard the conversation of the man sharing the gospel, believed the gospel, and got saved. The Christian man was led by the Lord to go there. I'm sure he had prepared for that. I'm sure he'd prayed about it. He was probably even praying for the man he was going to be sharing with. And what he didn't know was the Lord was doing something else that he did not even anticipate. He sent him there. So that another man who he didn't even know, who he didn't even know was listening, could hear the gospel and be saved. We don't know what the Lord is doing at any given time. And we often think he's doing one thing for one purpose. And we usually think he's doing it just for us. We tend to be very self-focused, even in our Christian life. But the Lord is often doing a million things at the same time. We're going to see... That our section of scripture has a few different parts to it this morning. But we're going to see that in each part, God's hand is doing something for his own glory. While he's also doing something for Gideon's help. And that's why I've entitled the message this morning, God's Hand in Gideon's Help. Because throughout this entire chapter, I mean this sermon almost preaches itself. Throughout this entire chapter, in each section, we see God doing something that only he can do. And he does it for his glory and to show something amazing about himself. But it also is for Gideon's good. It helps Gideon and encourages him. It makes him a better man, more like God than he was before. God is often doing things, multitasking, like we cannot and never could. We're going to walk through this together, the entire chapter. Don't worry. I'm going to go through it uh, in a digestible way. The outline is pretty simple. There's three parts to it. If you were to just read this, you would see, oh, there's, there's really three main scenes to this chapter, and here they are. Um, verses 1 through 8a, whenever you see a letter beside a verse, that means they're just, we're just splitting that verse in half. So 1 through 8a deals with separating the men, as I just read. The second portion of this chapter 8b through verse 14 is all about spying on the camp. And then the third part, verses 15 through 25, is about securing the victory. So separating the men, spying on the camp, securing the victory. That's where we're going to be walking through the text this morning. Now, I'm going to show you later on that each one of these sections has two parts in it, has two things. That are happening. I'm going to show you those as we walk through them, though. But let's look at what's happening, though, in first in the first eight verses, verses one through eight, and separating the men. We're told why God does this, but let's just walk through it together. Um, Gideon retains this name Jerubbaal, which means he contends with Baal. Remember that he got that from the previous chapter when his dad said, "Hey, he's torn down Baal's idol. Let Baal fight." against him. Why, why should we fight Baal's battles? And so he got the name Jerubbaal, which means he contends with Baal. And so he's going to retain that name for the rest of his life, actually. They rise early. He's got the sign from God. Remember from last week, the fleece. One time he wrung it out, and the other time it was dry. Gideon has no more tests that he can do. He's now convinced that God's with him, and God's going to do what he says. So they go down to fight the people of Midian who they were previously terrified of cuz they're just horribly outnumbered by these people anyway. They go to the camp. Thankfully they've able to amass 32,000 men, not nearly enough. Midian, the Amalekites, all these people, roughly 130,000 probably we think from what I've studied, so just still horribly outnumbered. Horribly. But 32,000, not too bad. It's possible with 32,000, which is what man would think. And God wants to see to it that no man can come away from this getting any glory. So what's he do? He starts to separate the men. How does he do it? First of all, pretty easily, verse 2. The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into the hand, lest the people boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. This is the reason, this is the main reason here for the separating of all these people so that man cannot boast. This is also why salvation is by grace through faith, we're told in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, so that no one can boast because man will boast. Man has always wanted to make a name for himself, even as far back as the Tower of Babel. Remember the reason for the Tower of Babel? Let's build a tower with its height up to the heavens and make a name for ourselves. And why was that something that God frowned upon? It's because man is supposed to be identified by God's name. He's made in God's image, he was made different from every other thing in creation in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. Then everything got ruined in Genesis 3. And man's heart has now turned. Man is now born a sinner. Now man wants to be known for his own name. And we've seen that throughout all history. And man will boast if he can. He will boast. We love to boast in our own accolades. The modern term for it is called flexing. And people will flex over all kinds of things that they have, even digital items that they have on their phone now. They will say, look at this thing I bought. And man always wants to boast. And God wants to see to it that no man can boast. Lest Israel boast saying, my own hand has saved me. He knows. God knows. That though the odds look grim, that 32,000 is still possible in man's own strength. And so he says, that will not do. This is how I'll boil it down. This will be the first phase. Gideon said to everyone, whoever is afraid... You can go home. (laughs) Now what we also learn about ourselves too is that we're naturally given to fear because 22,000, far more than half, say, then I'm out of here. And only 10 brave souls are left. 10 brave souls. They say, we're not afraid. We're here for the glory of Israel. Maybe for the glory of God, I don't know. Maybe for a paycheck, we don't know. But they're there, and they say, we'll do it. And God says, nope. Man could still boast over the 10,000. Look at verse 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. At this point, Gideon's mindset has to be, are you kidding me? We only had 32,000 to start with. And you say 10,000 is still too many. We don't stand a chance. Thankfully, Gideon just come off the heels of seeing multiple miracles. People are still too many. Now, notice this in verse 4. The Lord alone sets the criteria for the consolidation for the men. He's very clear in verse 4, I'm going to do this. Whoever I say, then you're going to do this. And I say this, I say this, I say this. Look at verse 4. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say, he shall not go, then he shall not go. So the Lord basically saying, listen, I'm the boss over this. I'm the authority here, and we're going to do what I say. If I say this one goes, he goes. If I say this one stays, he stays. Got it? Got it. And so, He says, this is what we shall do. We're gonna separate them like this. Take them down to the water. I know they're thirsty. Tell them to drink. The ones who bring water to their mouths, we're gonna separate them. The ones who put their face right in the water and lap like a dog, we're we're gonna separate them. Okay, that's what we get in uh, verse seven. The Lord said to Gideon, um, I'm sorry, in verse six. First, he just says, "Just, just separate. He doesn't say, this is who is gonna stay and this is who is gonna go. He just says, we're just, this is how we're going to separate them. Watch this. <laughs> and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest knelt down to drink the water. So Gideon secretly, I promise you, Gideon was secretly hoping, please don't let it be the 300. Because of 10,000 people, That means 9,700 men were standing over there. And only 300 were standing over here. And so he's looking and he's thinking, please let it be this group. It's still not very much. And God says, those are the ones who are going to go with you. And he's probably thinking, I figured, I figured you would choose that one because they're so terribly few compared to the 135 roughly. Midianites and Amalekites testing Gideon's faith because only 300 remained. So these are the two things that are happening in part one here. These are the two things that are happening. Look, I made a slide for you. We see God's hand on one side and Gideon's help on the other. Can we get that one up? There we go. So when it comes to separating the men, this was to give God glory. So that no man could boast over this. This is what God is doing in the background in the separating of the men. This is so that God alone will get glory. This is so that people will talk about this for the ages, just like they talk about the 10 plagues for the ages. This was so that men would say, Wow, this is incredible. Only God could do something like this. There were only 300 of them. Are you serious? This was also to test Gideon's faith. And this is good for Gideon. The testing of our faith is a good thing. Why does God test our faith? Because we know that He does test our faith, but why does He? We know that He does it for our good. He has our good in mind when He tests our faith. Any testing of our faith is to strengthen our faith. If your faith is never tested, you'll never grow. If your faith is never tested, you will never grow. We don't like the testing of our faith. It's a bit hard at times. Like James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I don't like trials. You don't like them. They're painful, uncomfortable. No one likes walking through them. James says, count it joy. Why should I count it joy, James? Tell me, verse three, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Some translations translate it perseverance. Perseverance is very good for us. No one likes a quitter. Do you? I don't like it when I'm a quitter. I look back to when I quit certain things and I think, you idiot, why don't you just keep going? Why don't you just keep going? You'd be so much prouder of yourself had you just gone through it. And when we do persevere, we're like, wow, look, I did it. And then we're stronger because we persevered through something. That was hard. We didn't think we could do it. We got through it. And we say, praise God, I got through it. We're stronger. We're better. We're more mature. We're more resilient. Testing of your faith produces perseverance and let steadfastness or perseverance have its full effect. Why, James, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So this testing of Gideon's faith was good for him. And it's good for you, Christian. God's going to show you things in his word. You're gonna read it. You're gonna say, I believe that. And then that week, you're gonna be put in a scenario where you have to believe it. Think that's not true? Just stay in the faith a bit longer. It'll happen to you, (laughs) okay? There's often times where I preach a sermon, and then guess what? That week, I have to live that sermon. That happens to me far too often to be a coincidence. The testing of our faith is good for us. God was going to get glory for his own name because this was not possible unless there was a supernatural intervention that 300 could win over 135,000. And test Gideon's faith. Now some of you might be thinking, oh wait, no, it it is possible with man without God because remember the Spartans, they had 300 They didn't win. (laughs) Yeah, they did pretty good, but they all died. They didn't win. (laughs) These people won. Next, this is amazing. This is probably my favorite portion, is this middle portion, because it's just got God's fingerprints all over it. Next, they go down to spy on the camp. And what do they find? Let's look at verses 9 through 14. Really, it kind of starts in the second part of verse 8 because it says in the camp of Midian was below him in a valley. So you've got to think people of Israel are up here and there's a valley below them and all these people are just filled up in this valley. So look at verse 9 now. That same night, that same night, there's just the 300, they got done drinking that night. "'The Lord said to him, "'Arise, go down against the camp, "'for I have given it into your hand.'" That's key. He's going to need to hang on to that. I've given it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So this is like a prophecy he's making. He's saying, this is what you're going to hear, then you're going to get strength. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and all their camels were without number, as a sand that is on the seashore in abundance. So, so many people, you couldn't even count them. Like, when he, if you he came back and said, how many people did you see? I mean, I couldn't even number them. Like the sand of the sea, like locusts, you just, that many, just were doomed. <laughs> Verse 13, When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. We'll stop there. Well, let me go to verse 15. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped and returned to the camp of Israel, saying, Arise. I love this portion. Why do I love this portion? First of all, I see that Gideon's a lot like me and I'm a lot like Gideon, which encourages me. He tells him, Go down to the count, camp. But if you're afraid, take Pura with you. Then, what do we see in the very next verse? So they both went to the camp. (laughs) What does that mean? Gideon was afraid. Gideon should have been one of the 22,000 that left because they were afraid. Had Gideon not been the leader, and some other leader wouldn't have come up and said, Whoever's afraid, you may go home, back to your wives, to your farms, to your children. Gideon would have said, Thank goodness, I'm out of here. He was afraid. Church, when it comes to your obedience, the presence of your fear doesn't negate God's power. You need to know that. Okay? Just because you're afraid, it doesn't do away with God's power. God can still use you fearful. That should encourage you, okay? That should really encourage you. It encourages me, because there's been very few times that God has said, Cohen, go do this hard thing. And I've said, no problem, I got that. It's not usually like that. Usually God says, go do this hard thing, this uncomfortable thing, this sacrificial thing, this thing where I'm testing you, I'm stretching you. I'm usually afraid to do it, which is why sometimes in the past I've chickened out. And I hate myself when I do that. And God's helping me to learn from that. Because you can only hate your behavior so long for, before you then change it. The hating of your failures is a gift from God. It is. It's a gift from God. Because guess what? If you didn't hate your failures, you wouldn't change, would you? You wouldn't. Those who are content with failure, they just keep on failing. Discontentment. Over your sin is a huge gift from the Lord and a good sign that you're in the faith. If you hate your sin, you're probably in the faith. And you'll know that you're in the faith because then you'll also love God and you'll do something about your sin. So this fear that Gideon had was something that I know, something that you probably know, the presence of his fear didn't negate the power of his God. And they go into the camp, him and Purah. You've got to understand what, what, what happened here. It's just amazing. We read that the Midianites and the Amalekites were like locusts without number, as the sand of the seashore. But lo and behold, Gideon and his companion Purah. Do you realize what happened? That many men. That many men different people they could have snuck down and encamped beside and spied on. Are you getting this? And they happen, they, they happen to sneak right beside the one who had a dream and the one who had an interpreter of the dream with him. And the one who heard the dream happened to be able to interpret it correctly I mean, do you realize all that would have to happen perfectly in order for this to fall into place like it did? There, was a specific, there were specific men in a specific place talking at a specific time about a specific dream with a man who was able to give a specific interpretation. And they're overheard by two others who've snuck down to a specific spot within earshot of those two specific men. I mean, it's just, it's it's uncanny. It's uncanny, the coincidences here. Only the Lord could orchestrate something like that. There were thousands of other soldiers whom Gideon and Purah could have hidden close to, and there were thousands of other words that those men not only had spoken that day, but even could have spoken that day, and thousands of other topics those men could have been talking about at that time. I mean, had they come 10 minutes later, they would have been, talking, they would have been done talking about that dream. Had they come 10 minutes earlier, they wouldn't have heard that part. I mean, it's just crazy. Think about all the contingencies that had to fall into place perfectly in order for this to happen exactly the way the Lord said it, by the way, would happen. I mean, what if that man didn't have that dream? What if the interpreter wasn't there? What if they would have snuck to some other dudes that were just talking about how they're tired of eating potatoes for three nights in a row, or something like that? I mean, this is just, just the Lord all over this, and I love it. It is just amazing. I mean, because we've already seen. I sh- Let me just point out this. Because this middle section has two things that are true about it too. One thing that's true about God, one thing that's true about Gideon. Look at it, look at the second section and what's true here. So spying on the camp, what does it show about God? It shows God's sovereignty. No one else could make this happen the way it happened. Those exact men at that exact time, talking about that exact dream with someone who could give the exact interpretation, and Gideon and his friend Pura happened to be overhearing those two men right at that moment. And it fulfills exactly what God said would happen the night before. So it shows God's sovereignty, but what does it also do for Gideon? It encourages Gideon's faith. It encourages his faith extremely, because God said, go here, listen to this, you're gonna hear something that's going to encourage you, that's gonna help you with your fear, that's gonna bolster you. And that's why we see Gideon doing what he did. In verse 15, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. Now, what do we know that's true about Gideon? What have we already seen about this man? He's cowardly. He's doubtful. And often second-guessed the Lord's clear command. He did. But we have to give him this. He knew that he was to worship at this moment. I mean, you have to think. Think about him crouching with Pura in the bushes. They're, they're crouching there and they're within their earshot of these people. And they're hearing this guy, probably with a shaky voice because he's like, This dream was really freaky. And his friend says, That's only Gideon. It, it means this. And you just have to think Gideon must have been like, Oh, are you kidding me? Oh, gosh. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And he just knelt down. I mean, that's what I would have done. That's what I would have done. Gideon knew when and how to worship the Lord. Remember when Gideon first tested the Lord. If it's really you, show me a sign. And the angel of the Lord says, go prepare a meal and come back. So he does that, brings it back. He says, now put the meal on the rock, pour the broth over it. And the angel of the Lord touches the food with his staff. Fire comes up from the rock and envelops it. And then the angel of the Lord disappears. And what does Gideon do right after that, we were told, in chapter 6? He built an altar. Immediately after that, he knew what he was to do. This is nothing but the Lord, and he builds an altar. His reflex of his heart, when in the presence of God, was to worship. And so though he was a coward, and though he was doubtful, and though he second-guessed the Lord at his word often, he was still a worshiper. You know what that means? There's hope for you. Because that just explains you perfectly. I know that because it explained me perfectly. Cowardly, check. Doubtful, check. Second guess God's word, check. Cohen, ezel to a T. But thank the Lord. He's also changed me and made me a worshiper too. That's how I know the Lord is real. Because I also know the real Cohen. And the real Cohen does not worship God. The real Cohen worships Cohen. And the fact that I now want to worship God and love the Lord and hate my sin shows me there's a God in heaven (laughs) because I floundered around in my own sinfulness for far too long and then he changed me. And if he hasn't changed you yet, if you're not a worshiper, if that's not the reflex of your heart, if it's not there at all, it can be. Listen to me. If you're like, yeah, that sounds foreign to me. Don't not a not really a worshipper. You can be. If I worship, I don't mean playing a harp and. Uh, I don't mean that. I mean loving so someone so much that you want to be around him, think about him, be devoted to him. That worship. You already know worship. All men worship something, and we all become like what we worship. Gideon was becoming more godly because he worshipped God. Now look at verses 15 through 18. I like this portion as well. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, put trumpets into their hands and and into all of them, in empty jars with torches inside the jars, and said to them, look at me, and do likewise. When I come to the outside of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp, and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Who is this? <laughs> I mean, reading this, this does not sound like Gideon. I mean, are you seeing this difference? Remember the Gideon that we've read about in chapter six? This is not him. Are you seeing a change in this man? I am. I mean, I remember studying for this and just thinking, who is this guy and I want to be like him? I mean, this is a leader. This is a leader. And what made him in that way? I mean, first of all, Just look at him. I mean, look at this one whom, when clothed with the Spirit of the Lord, has become this mighty man of valor the Lord said he was. Remember when the Lord walked up upon him? You mighty man of valor is what he called him. And I told you all, I would not have called him that. Because when we saw Gideon at first, he was hiding, threshing his wheat in a wine press, so that he could just get a little bit for his family and hide it because he was scared of the Midianites and the Amalekites who always came in and raided everything they had and took it. So there he is hiding, hoping nobody will see him. And then he's got this rotten attitude. That messenger walks up to him, the Lord is with you. If the Lord is with us, then why is all this stuff happening? Where are all these wonderful things we've heard about from our fathers? Huh? See, I would have just punched him and said, never mind, you jerk. I'm gonna go pick somebody else. But what did God say to him? Go in this might of yours, you mighty man of valor, and save Israel. See, the Lord saw who he could be when the Holy Spirit was upon him. See, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, you change, no change, not so convinced that the lord is with you. Do not tell me the lord is with you and you've not been changed. You not you can't point to any time in your life where you say that's when the lord changed me. That's not there. It can be. It can be. I'm trying to shame you, I'm trying to encourage you. The lord made the difference in this man. What a changed man. We see here from the one hiding and threshing wheat in the little wine press and from the one who continued to be afraid and wouldn't do anything unless he saw the sign, unless he first tested the Lord with some miraculous sign. The Spirit of the Lord was upon this man and it made all the difference. Men, the Holy Spirit's enabling precedes you becoming a great leader. All men want to be great leaders. We all do. It's in us to want to be great leaders and heroes I'm going to tell you, the Lord in you, the Holy Spirit in you, precedes that version of you. Women, the Holy Spirit's enabling will also precede you overcoming your fear and uncertainty. I've not met any woman that doesn't struggle with fear and uncertainty. Now, we men do as well, but the Holy Spirit enabling you gives you grace to overcome your fear and your uncertainty. I don't even have to assume you struggle with fear and uncertainty and anxiety. It was the Spirit of God who changed the apostles as well from cowardly men weak in their faith to men who were bold in the face of threats and death and had lion-hearted faith. The Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that's what changed those men. And he's the one who will change you. And he's the one who changed Gideon because we're told back in chapter six that the Spirit of God, God clothed Gideon. We don't get that language. That's a very rare way to talk about the Holy Spirit being upon someone in the Old Testament. Very unique. It says he was clothed in the Holy Spirit. It reminds me of us being clothed in the righteousness of God that only comes through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what will change a man's Salvation in Christ. Because you're separated from God otherwise because of your sin. The God-man came to reconcile God and man. Why do we need reconciliation? Because of our sin. That's what separated us from our holy God because we are so unholy and he is so perfectly holy. Nothing impure can be in his presence and we deserve justice rightly. Jesus Christ came as the sinless one did not deserve any punishment, but took it on our behalf when he shed his blood and died on the cross and proved the price was paid, proved that he had procured salvation for all of God's people when he rose again from the dead. And because he did that, you can be saved. You can turn from your sins, repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus and be saved and be a changed person. Overnight? No. Little by little? Yes. With God's power? The only way, by grace, through faith, so that no man can boast. It will not be of your own doing, or else you will boast about it. You will boast like those men would have had they gotten the victory any other way. And speaking of the victory, let's look at that. Verses 19 through the end. So Gideon and the hundred men with, who were with him, remember he split them up into three parts, came with him to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars they had in their left hands and torches and in the right hands and and, and blew the trumpets. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled when they blew the 300 trumpets. The Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah toward Azeraah. As far as the border of all these places that we don't know. Very far. Verse 23. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and Asher and Al-Manasseh. And they pursued after Midian. Notice this. Did, did you notice that in that verse? Other men rallied to their aid. Do you know why? Obedience encourages obedience. Did you know that? Obedience encourages obedience. Often it takes one person to stand up and say yes or stand up and say no. Standing on the faith in some way, and it encourages others to do likewise. The thing is about us, we're just always waiting for somebody else to do it first, aren't we? There's far more followers than there are leaders in this world. Far more followers than there are leaders. And would that every one of us let out in our faith. You would encourage so many people to rally with you in obedience and love for the Lord. You would. Because obedience encourages obedience. And all these other people of Israel come. They rally to Gideon's side verse 24, Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture waters against them as far as Beth Barah. And also the Jordans So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah, also the Jordan. They captured two princes. And then later on, not to go into too much details, but they, they won. They decapitated the leaders of the bad guys. Just want to be sensitive to little ears in here. They secured the victory, which is the third portion. Let's look at the third portion and see the two parts there of the third portion. In securing the victory, what do we see? We saw the fulfilling of God's prophecy because God said this would happen. God made a promise. He said, this is going to happen. And then it happened. So what's that show us? God, number one, is all-knowing. Number two, he's faithful to his word. He's faithful to keep his promises. He can promise something. And deliver. So we look at God and we say, wow, he's trustworthy and he's mighty. And then what did it do for Gideon? Honored Gideon's faith. Gideon was encouraged in his faith. In that faith, he led out like a bold man, led by the Lord. And he saw the victory. And God honored that faith. Just as the Lord honored the faith of those who wanted to be healed by him, the Lord Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. There were certain towns that Jesus went to, it says, and he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief, their lack of faith. They didn't see God's hand in their life. Have you ever wondered, why am I not seeing God's hand in my life more? Are you there? Are you thinking, why am I not seeing God's power? Why am I not seeing God's hand? Let me ask you this. Where's your faith? Is your faith in God? Are you actually trusting in God? I mean, really, be real with yourself. Be totally honest and real with yourself. Are you truly trusting God? Are you truly trusting God? Are you sort of putting in a little trust and then freaking out? Putting a little trust in God saying, well, it's been 10 minutes and and, and nothing's happened. (laughs) 10 minutes? I laugh because I've done that before, okay? like, "I'm, I'm gonna pray about this thing. And I pray and I'm like, Okay, well, no one's knocking on the door or anything like that, so I guess I'll take matters into my own hands now. You know how long Abraham had to wait on the Lord before Isaac was born? How many decades? Wait on the Lord. I'll ask you this question. Is God trustworthy? If I say yes. Yes, Cohen, he is. My reply back to you. Then trust him. Don't tell me he's trustworthy if you're not going to trust him, right? Trust the Lord. The success in the battle fulfilled God's word that said, go in this might of yours. This is back from chapter 6, back when Gideon was just a hot-headed coward. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. You shall strike the Midianites as one man. Which is really amazing, because I don't know if you recall back when that gentleman was telling his dream, Behold, I dreamed a dream. Behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent, and struck it, so that it fell, and turned it upside down. The tent. From what I read, the, the Midianites and the Amalekites were like the sands of the sheet, the sand of the seashore, or were they all just under one tent. It was like a big circus tent. Why is it just one tent in the dream? I think it's because of what of what was prophesied about Gideon. You shall strike them as one man. That's why I think there was one tent in in the dream. It's because there might as well have been one man because God was going to strike them through Gideon. This is just amazing. I just love this chapter. It shows us God's glory. It shows us God's sovereignty. and shows us God's faithfulness to fulfill his prophecies. What does it also show us about Gideon? also showed us that God cared and loved Gideon enough to test his faith. It also showed us that God wanted to encourage Gideon's faith. And it also showed us that God wanted to honor Gideon's faith. God is doing a million things at once, and you need to be encouraged by that. God may be encouraging you, moving you to do this one thing, and you think this is is just one little small thing. No, it's not. No, it's not. Just as the man shared the gospel with that one man, On the cot that day, but the other man is the one that got saved. And if I'm not mistaken, I forget, I just don't want to get it wrong. But that man that got saved, if I'm not mistaken, he went to either it was him that went to start the Salvation Army or start some other big ministry that we all know of. Again, it was 20 years ago when I heard this, my memory's not perfect. But that man went on to do something big for the Lord. So you don't know what God's doing at one time. Just know God is there to encourage you in your faith, but he's also there to show you his great might and his great glory. Continue to walk in faith without doubting and see what he does through you. He will do mighty things. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would please help all of us. We, <laughs> we see ourselves in Gideon and his weaknesses so, so much. But we want to see ourselves be like Gideon that day that he led mightily, like a lion, like a strong man. And I know we all want to lead out strong in our faith, but Lord, we also struggle with the flesh so much. Please, Lord, help us. Please help us to overcome these things that we've been struggling with. I know, I know that right now, each one of us can think back to last week just the last seven days and see those things within us, those attitudes or those sins that so easily ensnare us so often and we say, yes, I struggle with that and I'm tired of being that way. Lord, help us to hate those things more so that we will cleave so much more closer to you and be those people empowered by the Holy Spirit, living lives of faith, seeing your mighty hand in our lives. Give us grace to be like that. In Jesus' name.